0: This week, we welcome Teresa Lanowitz, Head of Cybersecurity Evangelism at AT AT&T Cybersecurity, to discuss the real edge computing use cases from the AT&T Cybersecurity Insights Report. In the Leadership and Communications section, a letter from the CISO to the CEO. The high cost of ignoring cybersecurity while your business needs protection. The art of speaking cadence, unleashing a powerful leadership tool, and more. Business Security Weekly starts now this is a security weekly production for security professionals by security professionals please visit securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe to subscribe to all the shows on our network broadcasting live it's the show where we explore the business of security to improve the security of business your trusted source for actionable insights on leadership, communication, and innovation. Get ready for Business Security Weekly. 270, that's the average number of times a company comes under cyber attack each year. And the average cost of a successful data breach is $4.35 million. Cygnus ensures your internal and external teams are securely connected, confident, in control, and compliant during a cyber crisis. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Cygnus to learn more. That's C-Y-G-N-V-S. Make sure you subscribe to the Below the Surface podcast by Eclipsium in partnership with CRA. Myself and Scott Shefferman host this show, and we've had the pleasure of speaking with some amazing guests, including Zeno Kova, Richard Hughes, Vincent Zimmer, and more. We discuss topics related to firmware and supply chain security, uncovering those pesky vulnerabilities that lie, well, below the surface in your environments. You can find all the episodes and subscribe by visiting eclipsium.com forward slash podcast or searching for below the surface in your favorite podcast catcher. Welcome to Business Security Weekly. This is episode number 330, recorded December 4th, 2023. I am your host, Matt Alderman. Joining me for this segment are my co-hosts. First, Mr. Jason L. Buquerque. Dude, hey, what Matt, about those 49ers?
1: Those 49ers are scary, man. I mean, they, they ran it up against the Eagles this weekend. Uh, they're, they're looking really tight. Scary, scary team. But uh, same old song for the Patriots. We actually got shut out at home, which is... Uh, which is not a good thing, especially with uh, the Kraft and Belichick leadership. Uh, I don't know, something that's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, Packers beat the Chiefs. It was a a crazy weekend in football.
0: Yeah, my Browns are back to losing again. The Broncos (laughs) went back to losing again. So, yeah, it's just the same status quo. It's all right. I know. Also joining for this segment, Mr. Ben Carr. Hey, Ben. Hey, Matt. How are you doing today? Great to be with you on this
2: fine, sunny December day.
0: Oh, my God. And your audio sounds so good. I can hear you today. (laughs) (laughs) Working on it. Working on it. I know. Join our Discord channel to chat with us throughout the live show today. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Discord to receive an invite and become part of our community. This segment is sponsored by AT&T Cybersecurity. To learn more, please visit securityweekly.com forward slash ATTCybersecurity. Teresa Lanowitz is a proven global influencer on the trends and emerging technology poised to help today's enterprises succeed. Formerly an industry analyst at Gartner, Teresa was at the forefront of establishing the firm's application quality ecosystem and was champion of application security technology. She also created and launched the Gartner Application and Innovation Solutions Summit, a premier conference for application and software engineers. Throughout her career, Teresa has been a trusted advisor to some of the most innovative and influential companies and executives in the world. Teresa, welcome back to Business Security Weekly.
3: Thank you so much Matt. It's great to be back here. And you know, all the times I've spoken with you, I had no idea you were a Cleveland Browns fan. So, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. We had a rough weekend too. And yes, the 49ers looked really good.
0: Yes, and you have a guest on here that also is 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 a is a competitor um, on my college football side as well. I do.
3: I do. I brought a special guest along with me from AT&T Cybersecurity, Mark Freifeld. And Mark works with me on the thought leadership side. And between the two of us, we put out the AT&T Cybersecurity Insights Report and all the vertical reports that we've talked about over the course of our time here with you on this podcast. So I thought it would be nice for Mark to join us today just to provide a end-of-year wrap-up on everything we've done with the AT&T Cybersecurity Insights Report and our thought leadership there.
4: Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Teresa. Thanks, Renee. Thanks for having me on today's call. All right. So we're going to get into
0: some of the edge use cases. We've been talking about this topic, Teresa, for the last couple interviews that you've been on. You brought other guests on. Today, we're going to break into some of the industry-specific reports. And you took the overall research kind of broke it down into industry verticals, and, and now you've, you're starting to look at ver- some very specific use cases. So I think we wanted to go into some of the challenges around some of these industries. And when I think about some of the, the top ones to me, like healthcare, right, safety, uh, patient life, that's a really interesting one. What does edge computing look like in healthcare?
3: I think you're absolutely right in that the more you go into some of these vertical markets, you start to think about the use cases for edge computing, and then you have to stop and say, well, wait a second. Is this safety critical? Is it life critical? Is it mission critical? Or is it something where we could just get a lot of benefit from edge computing? And before I jump into that, talking a little bit about healthcare, let me just do a level set on how we see edge computing. And when you talk about edge computing, it's a relatively popular term. You'll tend to have different people lean towards the tech stack that they're either using or from the vendor side, the tech stack that they're selling. But for the purposes of our report, our thought leadership report that we put out this year, we said, you know, edge computing is really, it's three characteristics. The first characteristic is that it's software defined and that can be on-prem or in the cloud. And the second characteristic is that your workloads, your hosting, your applications, everything is closer to where that data is being generated and consumed because edge computing is all about data. And then the third characteristic is that it's a distributed model of management, intelligence and networks. And we look at that and we say, all right, what does that really, really mean? What that means is computing is about to change for everybody, not just people in certain verticals, but it's about to change. It's near real-time information given to the user, whether that's business-to-business environment or business-to-consumer. It's near real-time information given in a digital-first world. And everything is changing. Your networks are changing your applications are changing, the way you use that information is changing. So I always like to give an example of a real live edge computing use case, one that everybody can understand. So Matt, let's say you're driving into your favorite Cleveland Browns football game, and you're going to find a parking spot in one of the parking structures near the stadium. You go to the first floor and it says, oh, there are two parking spots available here. And you say, well, you know, I don't want to risk the chance that I'm not going to find a suitable parking spot. So you go up to the second level. On the second level, it says there are 50 spots available. And you say, you know, pretty good odds I'll find a reasonable spot to park in. So what you're seeing there is edge computing. It's being delivered. That information is being delivered to, to that digital scoreboard that you're seeing right there in the parking garage. You didn't have to open an app and say, I'm going to park on the, in the parking structure on the corner of Maple and Third Street. It just automatically worked for you. So that's that near real-time information being served up to you right away. So now as you take that and you start to equate that to healthcare, You're right. With healthcare, you're looking at life-critical issues, safety-critical issues. Some of the things we've seen with healthcare are, are interesting in that they bring in new and different types of endpoints. So in healthcare, think, for example, about a robot. How can you use a robot in healthcare? You can use that robot to disinfect exam rooms, to disinfect uh, patient rooms. Once they leave the patient room, so there, and, and that is, an, at the robot's the endpoint, and then the edge computing is the robots going in there. It's going in, disinfecting the room, automatically sends information back to the person who's going to be bringing the next person in for exam or admitting the next person to the room. And I know Mark likes to talk a lot about the healthcare use cases as well, so I'll let Mark uh, chime in here on some of the other use cases that we have in healthcare.
4: Yeah. Thank, thank you, Teresa. So um, yeah, in terms of healthcare, I think uh, what, what Teresa uh, talked about, about the robot disinfecting, that's, you know, it's one example, but certainly if you talk about critical care uh, further out, um, out in the actual field, when paramedics actually have to do life-saving, um, provide life-saving services, whether it's an illness or, or injury or a severe accident or a trauma, you know, we're, we're finding more and more um, of the technologies that paramedics are using out in the field. Are you know internet enabled and they have to be secure uh, because they have to work hundred percent all the time. They have to be on all the time because of of the nature of the uh, of the emergency that they're they're responding to. Um, and that's you know that's an extreme case. Um, you know, I'm not a paramedic, but I do know that a lot of the uh, you know the the basic the basic, uh, the basic um, you know vital vitals, vitals uh, and life saving support that they have to provide out in the field. Um, in certain emergencies, you know, it has to be up working, and it has to be secure. It cannot be down or interrupted for any reason. But I think if you take it a little further, you know, not you know, not in a so, not so critical. You think about uh, one of the biggest um, uses for uh, you know healthcare, the uh, for diabetics, you know, doing their own you know monitoring their own um, blood glucose sugar uh, with the, uh, the new wearables that they have instead of pricking your finger and then using it and putting it into a little device. Now it's, they can do it through their, their smartphones. And certainly, you know, that has to be, you know, that's something that has to be, uh, secure as well. I mean, you know, God forbid someone comes in a malicious actor comes in and, you know, can, can, you know, do a lot of, do a lot of damage with a, uh, you know, with a blood glucose monitor. And if you think about, um, Art imitating life. You know anyone who remembers the you know the television show Homeland. Uh, you know pacemakers. Uh, the you know, bad actors wanted to kill the vice president of the United States, breaking into the you know his he had an online pacemaker. You know pacemakers today they can be monitored online. So um, you know that's another area you know aware that's beyond a wearable. That's an implantable. So you know an implanted device that at a lot you know utilizes the internet for transmitting data to the doctors or hospitals you know it's another area that has to be considered for that needs to be you know that needs to be secure from a cybersecurity aspect so those are kind of the areas that um you know from healthcare that i've you know that that would be important for anyone to uh, to be aware of that works in the healthcare industry
0: yeah I, I can imagine the biomed you know the pacemakers and and the different devices around because they are like safety issues right We're also going to shift and look at manufacturing, Teresa, right? So different set of use cases for manufacturing, not necessarily as life safety related. There could be some, however, um, having spent time in nuclear power and and, uh, some of those areas, there are some life safety issues. But in manufacturing, edge use cases are a little different, aren't they?
3: Manufacturing is that vertical market that, to me, has – over the past couple of years, since we've been tracking these use cases, the manufacturing vertical has had a lot of uniqueness, I think, in the way those use cases are actually manifested. So in 2022, the biggest use case that we saw for edge computing in our at cybersecurity insights report was for manufacturing, and that was for video-based quality inspection and you listen to that phrase, video-based quality inspection. What does that really come down to and mean? So video-based quality inspection says that you have an assembly line, you're producing widgets, you're producing some item that you're going to then go and sell to the public, whether it be cars or bicycles or tricycles or wagons or toys or anything else you might manufacture. That manufacturing assembly line is monitored with people doing certain tasks, but in many cases that manufacturing assembly line is controlled through a series of cameras and sensors watching exactly what is happening as that widget is being manufactured. Think about the benefit of that. If you know what your variance is, for example, in terms of saying you're going to insert part A into part B, or you're going to apply a windshield, or you're going to put a door on a car, something like that. You know what your variance is. The machinery knows what the variance is. It's calibrated. Through a series of cars, cameras and sensors, you can then watch exactly what you're assembling on that assembly line. And if a defect inserts itself, maybe the machine goes out of calibration and the variance goes off by some amount, the assembly line would then automatically just shut down. And what can happen then is is that the professionals on the assembly line would be able to go back, recalibrate the machines. But what they'd also be able to do is look at the widgets or the products or cars, whatever it is you're manufacturing, look at what has been manufactured to date and determine exactly where that defect was inserted. That is a tremendous savings for the business because what the business is looking to do is the business is saying, great, we're going to invest in automating our assembly line. We're going to invest in putting these cameras and sensors, these IoT types of devices on the assembly line. But what is that going to give back to the business? Back to the business, what it's saying is you're going to have fewer products that you have to worry about recalling because we understand exactly where any defect may be being inserted. That was my favorite use case from 2022. Now we fast forward to 2023, and the number one use case for manufacturing was real time warehousing, understanding exactly what is in your warehouse at any given time. And the unique thing that I really like about this real time inventory, real time warehousing inventory, is that the number one endpoint in manufacturing was a robot. So they're using robots to help them with their inventory management in their warehouses. So manufacturing, while you might think manufacturing, there's not a whole lot of improvement that could be made in manufacturing. They are incredibly advanced in terms of how they're using edge computing, how they're bringing in these different types of IoT devices and how they're securing them because as you pointed out Matt it's probably not safety critical but in many cases it is safety critical think about manufacturing a car think about manufacturing medical devices think about manufacturing uh things that people will use in a in, in a, on a daily basis that could impact their safety so even though you may not think manufacturing might not be safety critical in many cases. When you really start to drill down into it, manufacturing is full of safety critical problems that they're trying to solve. And so the better you can make that assembly line, the more you can understand where your inventory is, the more you can understand what type of inventory you have going into, for example, a busy shopping season for a certain type of product. Incredible advances being made by manufacturing organizations.
0: The other trend I noticed on the manufacturing side is these are not traditional endpoint devices, right? You're talking robots, uh, IoT, SCADA, different types of systems, right? Where we don't have a lot of coverage for some of those types of endpoints. You can't install an agent on those endpoints, for example. So the security mechanisms around these manufacturing endpoints are very different in these specific use cases.
3: Exactly. The security around those different types of endpoints, you talked a lot about the SCADA things, the, the SCADA devices, the, the operational technology that we're seeing, some of these newer things that are coming out. And that's where we should expect to see some innovation coming out in the next several years. One of the things we learned from our AT&T Cybersecurity Insights Report is that the more edge use cases a company comes up with, the more cybersecurity controls they start to adhere to. In the beginning, they may they may say, oh, all we have to do is worry about a firewall. But then they come up with more and more edge use cases. And they say, we have to do more than just firewall with a network edge. We have to be concerned about these IoT devices. We have to make sure that we are somehow using, for example, multi-factor authentication. We have to make sure somehow that we are bringing in zero trust, that sort of thing. So the more edge computing use cases there are, the more important cybersecurity controls become, and we have the data that actually reflects that, so we we know that that is the case. And as I said, that's where we should expect to see some innovation come out. How do you secure all of these IoT types of devices, all of these endpoints that are now living in your environment, and how do you secure them? How do you know they're there? For example, in in a in a in a farming situation, you may have an endpoint sitting on a tractor in a cornfield in Des Moines, Iowa. How do you know what that endpoint is doing? Should that endpoint really be on your network? And what if that endpoint suddenly drops off your network? How should you really be able to respond to that? So we should start to see a lot more innovation in terms of how endpoints are being used, how endpoints are being accounted for
1: and teresa as as i look at a lot of the verticals that you're listing out here where edge computing is becoming a critical resource we're talking about healthcare manufacturing you know we may talk about state and local government transportation retail those are a lot of industri- those are a lot of the industries that i see that have an immense amount of technical debt as well meaning end of life end of support equipment that may have to interface with these edge computing environments. Are you still seeing that as a risk? Because again, healthcare, manufacturing, there's a lot of legacy assets that are out there in those environments.
3: Yeah, definitely seeing a lot of legacy assets, as you point out, a lot of technical debt, as you point out. And I think what we're starting to see is that some of these industries that we may have thought would not necessarily be the industries where you innovate, we're starting to see a lot more innovation in them. So we're starting to see organizations such as healthcare, manufacturing, retail, they're now putting IoT, edge computing types of devices out there on their networks. And in some cases, they're being told through governing rules and regulations that your your entire ecosystem that you're building out, that entire edge ecosystem, you have to go back and you have to certify it every 24 months. In some cases, they're being told, or the manufacturer is coming out and the man, the manufacturer is being proactive and saying, with this type of device, with this camera, with this sensor, with this valve, with this gauge, You cannot deploy it to your network with the standard factory set password, which I think is incredibly helpful because all too often we know people will put things on a network and just leave the Default password, one, two, three, four, or password. And 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 that becomes problematic because the adversaries very quickly can go through once they achieve some sort of break-in into a network. They can go through, they can look at all these devices that are on the network and they can say, ah, I know this is from manufacturer ABC, and their default passwords are one, two, three. So yes, still see that technical debt being out there, but I think there are things that are coming into play that organizations are going to have to really be a little bit more hygienic, if you will, with the endpoints that they're putting onto their networks. And I think that in many cases, as you mentioned, these are industries where we haven't seen the innovation. I think typically in technology, we think of financial services. They're the first ones where you're going to see some innovation happening. But we're seeing this incredible innovation in manufacturing, in retail, in energy and utilities, in transportation, in those more sort of industrial types of vertical markets.
0: Yeah, Teresa, one of the surprises for me was the amount of adoption of edge computing in state local education. That was kind of those one of those outliers you saw in the report. Why is that?
3: You mentioned such an excellent, excellent point. One of the things we found out through the edge use cases that we asked the different vertical markets to tell us about is that state and local government, that particular market, I think we surveyed 178 people from state, local government, and higher education, and we found out that 66% of those organizations that identify themselves as state, local, and higher education, they are down the path of implementing at least one edge use case. And the top edge use case that they were implementing is building maintenance. Now, any vertical market can be proactive and say we're going to implement we're going to implement uh, sort of, sort of smart building maintenance. But if you look at state, local, and higher education, they're really beholden to the taxpayer. They're government entities, and so they are saying. We're going to do this to be proactive. So smart building maintenance, making sure they understand when an HVAC system should be turned on or should be turned off, making sure they understand when maintenance on a particular asset in that building, such as an elevator, such as lighting, can actually be serviced and maintained when people aren't in that building. So they're not going to interrupt the building at 8 o'clock in the morning when everybody is coming into the office trying to get to the 20th floor of a building. They're doing a lot of proactive things in order to be able to serve their constituents much, much better. And this idea of smart building maintenance is incredibly helpful. And you mentioned, state, local, and higher education or SLED, U.S. SLED. Last year, the top use case coming from the SLED participants was this concept of public safety. So making sure they understood exactly what was going on in particular locations inside the city and using a series of sensors to understand what traffic might look like, what particular noises might be, knowing if Yes there's a there's a there might be a city permit for a parade so of course there's going to be noise on this particular street at a particular time so we see continue to see US state local and higher education really continue to innovate and it's it, it it's encouraging to see this innovation come at the state, local, and higher education level, and it's encouraging to see that they're starting to use and have are using these innovative technologies and leading-edge technologies to really help serve their constituents better.
1: Yeah, it's it's just having worked with with a lot of that vertical, now you're starting to see interagency collaboration as well. So you'll have these edge computing cases where you'll have collaboration between emergency response slash public safety entities in school districts. So that way they can monitor the buildings and be able to have emergency response. You'll see collaboration between hospital systems and EMA agencies. So it's it's opening up this whole new world of collaboration between agencies. Are you seeing
3: that as well? Absolutely. You bring up this collaboration between agencies. That is an incredible benefit of what edge computing can do. And also what that really points to is that organizations are starting to tear down those silos. We've seen those silos where it says, Here's the development team. We're not going to talk to the operations team. We're not going to talk to the security team. We're not going to talk to the line of business. And now we're starting to see, as you point out, so accurately that we are seeing this collaboration, this communication across agencies. So you might see communication and collaboration with a hospital, with the police department, with the ambulance organization. So we're seeing this, this collaboration because it's all coming together at that edge. So they can all take that data and do the best thing they possibly can for the end user using that data. And I believe it's not only inside of government agencies where we're seeing that communication and collaboration. If you think about, manufacturing, understanding what they should and should not build, understanding how much of quality they're building with it, understanding how much they have in stock, then working with transportation companies to get that stock to the final destination, then working with a retail organization to put those goods on their shelf or on their e-commerce site. So we see then that manufacturing, transportation, and retail, they suddenly become interconnected as well you start to see this effect across the entire supply chain and that innovation is critical for moving forward.
2: So just, I had a question. I'm, I'm wondering you know as you talk about this I, I think the innovation is certainly there and the requirement for it, whether it be in the medical field or whether it be in uh, you know sled areas, But one of the concerns that I have is in, you know, you think typically in the medical side or in the SLED side, that the low investment, right? Like it's typically been in an area of the industry where we haven't seen the investment and the the amount of staffing that those agencies have internally tends to be on the low side, right? And so as we think about that and we think about the connectivity and the innovation happening and, you know, uh, whether it's power devices, water pumping, um, you know, just even traffic cameras, the potential for cyber incidents becomes huge, right? And so, how do you think about that from a from a cyber perspective? The responsibility of you know whether it's medical or, or state local or any other industry on the part of those those industries themselves or the vendor supplying it to increase the the cyber piece of that investment strategy to match the innovation.
3: Excellent observation that you have to have the cyber, space, the cyber piece in order to continue with that innovation. And if you think about what we've done as IT organizations over the past four or five plus decades, we've had these silos, as I pointed out, we've had the development team, the operations team, and what happened during the 2020 pandemic when everybody was forced to go home, Cybersecurity suddenly went from being a technical issue. You have these two or three really smart people sitting over in the corner, no idea what they did, but you know that they didn't let the bad guys come in and and take take your information. Cybersecurity went, because of the pandemic, cybersecurity went from being a technical issue to being a business requirement. Now, every time there is a a requirement for the business, cybersecurity is discussed and it's discussed holistically. And this is another thing we saw with our AT&T Cybersecurity Insights Report research in that across the board, organizations are saying, we know we have to get this done. And we know it is critical to the business because in many cases, the business They're leading these edge computing use cases. And what they do is they'll say, here's what we want to get out of it from the business. We want to be able to have far fewer product recalls. We want to be able to use energy more efficiently, for example. We want to be able to have more predictive maintenance in our buildings, for example. So those are the business outcomes. And to achieve those business outcomes, what they're saying is, all right, we all have to work together. So internally, we need to collaborate and communicate together. That means our line of business, development team, operations team, security team, networking team, infrastructure team, anybody involved in this project. It's not just the old days of let's just throw it over the wall and see what happens. We're now living in this new reality where you have to come together. All of those entities have to come together, communicate and collaborate, determine what that business outcome needs to be and work together to build it. And one of the other things that shows how important that impact is of collaboration, in the broader AT&T cybersecurity insights report, we have a breakdown of how much of an edge budget, how much of a total edge budget organizations are spending on security, applications, network, and planning. Across the board, organizations said they're spending 22% of their overall edge budget on security, 22% of their overall edge budget on applications, 30% of their overall edge budget on the network, and then 23% of their overall edge budget on planning. And if you stop and think about that, what that says is, one, there's a plan going into place. Organizations are not just building these, these new edge computing use cases in isolation, What they're doing is they're bringing all these teams together. And then what they're also doing is they're saying, where do the gaps exist? Where do we need help from the outside? And 71% of them say they're bringing in help from a third-party trusted advisor. It's maybe too optimistic to say this, but I do believe that edge computing, because it's a new generation of computing, it's going to help us eradicate some of those bad habits that we've had in the past. Hopefully, that's true.
1: So, so, Teresa, I mean, we're, we're talking about talking a lot about the business benefit and, you know, economies of scale and, um, you know, the, the, the more efficient operations and faster response time through, through your reporting and your investigation. What are you seeing as the biggest risks? Right. Because we want to be able to make sure that we can identify risk, mitigate risk. You know, I, I look at it from uh, anywhere from data integrity to quality control, to privacy and protection. What are some of the biggest risks that you're seeing right now as organizations move more toward edge computing?
3: All of the above. Everything you mentioned, that understanding the data. Is my data protected? Is my data trusted? Is it usable to the right team that needs to, to use it? Is my data going to be secure at rest as well as in motion, as well as in use? So definitely data. Definitely application security. Applications are changing. As we move to edge computing, applications are changing. It's no longer these gooey types of applications where we input something to get something out. It's that near real-time information that's being served up to you in a digital first way. So the applications are changing, which means that our overall software engineering lifecycle has to really become much much better than where it has been we have to start to take a focus on that holistic idea of what that software life cycle looks like What's happening with the data? What's happening from a quality control perspective? Have we tested this? Do we understand what's going on on the network side? So good software engineering practices. And I think that is a return to something in the past. Maybe that we haven't been doing that so much in the past decade or so. But it's really returning to those good software engineering practices, really understanding how to protect data. So application security, data security taking advantage of all the cybersecurity controls that are out there, looking at new ways of bringing in possibly frameworks such as zero trust or looking at new ways of bringing in multi-factor authentication. There are a variety of ways that we can, that we can be better and that we should be better and that we are doing a better job of. And that That comes from working holistically again and collaboratively and understanding who your counterparts are and also asking questions. If you don't know something, go out and ask the question, find out if there's somebody out there who has done that. Is there a consulting organization? Maybe you need managed security services. Maybe you need the help of a global systems integrator. Maybe you need the help of a telco. Don't be afraid to go out and ask for help.
0: So you nailed two of my three data (laughs) and application. Users number three, app user data. You, you mentioned multi-factor authentication. I think the, the end user, the user access still plays a big role here, which is why I've been a big fan of app user data. And, and you definitely nailed uh, two of those three, Teresa. Uh, yeah, and, Teresa, and Mark,
1: mention,
0: Mark, the, oh. the identities, right? I mean,
1: manage yeah. the identities that are providing the service, not necessarily just the users, because you have yeah. things like service
0: accounts and things of that nature. Yeah, I put that all in that identity I mean, I did, bucket. I, I shorten it to user, but yes, you're right, Jason.
3: And the identity and the user become become critical to some of these use cases. For example, we have multi factor authentication: something you know, something you have, something you are. In a lot of things that we do on on our, da- our daily lives. Some of our organizations have multi-factor authentication. Maybe if you're going into something more sensitive inside of your organization, you have multi-factor authentication. But then you start to think about some of these edge computing use cases. You are, let's say, for example, a surgeon about to go in and do some type of surgery on a patient. Well, there's probably multi-factor authentication That makes sure that you are who you are to allow you to get into the hospital, that allows you to get into the restricted area where only medical staff are allowed to be, that allows you to get to that operating room, that final point where you're about to operate on on the patient. But then how do they know in that operating room? Yes, they know who you are. They know you're that doctor. But how do they know that you're really fit to operate on that patient? Were you called in from a Sunday afternoon barbecue where maybe you had something to drink? Or are you yourself experiencing some sort of medical issue where you might not know what it is? And it says you take some sort of test, some sort of multi-factor authentication test to say, oh, you know, the surgeon's hands might not be steady enough, something like that. So we're going to start to see those behavioral types of things as well come into multi-factor authentication.
0: Yeah, it's a fascinating world. Teresa and Mark, thank you so much for joining us on Business Security Weekly.
3: Thank you so much, Matt. It was great to be here. Remember, cybersecurity is a journey, not a destination.
0: Thank you. Yes. To learn how to protect your edge ecosystem, please visit securityweekly.com forward slash ATTCybersecurity. We're going to take a quick break and then
3: cover the leadership and communications articles for this week.